I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Des Bishop Podcast. Greetings from old San Juan, Puerto Rico. Just uh, sitting in the hotel after a lovely trip to the El Yunque rainforest. Uh, beautiful hot day, swimming in pools at the bottom of waterfalls. Absolutely lovely. Hannah and I have taken a little little break, just a four day break, and it hasn't affected the podcast. We are still getting today's episode up, which is an absolute banger. Uh, If you follow me on Instagram, you'll know that a few weeks ago I put up a sort of a call out for somebody to talk to me about the use of psychedelics in the treatment of mental health, and I got such an overwhelming response. But um, somebody came to me with a very unique suggestion of a guest, somebody with whom they had a strong connection with. And my guest today is John Kostakopoulos, who took part in one of the early trials, NYU Langone trial, for the use of psilocybin to deal with alcohol use disorder. I guess some people call alcoholism, but the more proper medical term, particularly for, you know, uh, the broad spectrum of people who consider themselves to have a problem with alcohol. Anyway, I'm not going to say too much. All I'm going to say is that he was part of a very unique trial, the use of psilocybin, the active ingredient in magic mushrooms. And we discuss uh, what that was like for him, the success of it. And then we have a broader discussion about the use of psychedelics and NDMA in the treatment of various disorders from PTSD to OCD to various mental health uh, issues. Uh, And it's a fascinating discussion. Now, I am not saying anything other than I am open to John's experience and I'm open to his uh, his knowledge of this area. Uh, he's just a participant in a trial and I'm sure there's a much broader discussion to have about uh, the success so far, the optimism, but also the need for caution. And we will continue that discussion moving forward because I think this is better than a one episode thing. But this is a what an interesting jumping off point to have had this personal story that John tells very well. He was a great guest. Uh, anyway, I'll talk to you at the end of the episode, but um, I think you're going to enjoy this one. Chat then. Oh, that's great. Well, actually, most important question. Yeah. Costacopolis, is that correct? That's probably the first time someone's nailed it on the first try. Yeah. But honestly, I, I feel like the only reason I was able to nail it is because I, I'm I'm looking at your name in the uh, you know in the on the Zoom, and I was uh-huh. able to go syllable by syllable. Yeah, 
it's, and also still mess it up. It's I think it's five syllables, right? <laughs> There's some well, room for error there. And also, um, I grew up in Queens with a lot of Greek guys, and I, I'm making an assumption that this is a Greek name. Yeah, you got it. It's a good assumption. Yeah. So if you're from Queens, yeah, you're more Greek than I am. <laughs> well, my best friend growing up was Nick Giacakis. Oh, look at that. Yeah. So, uh, well, well, w- welcome to the pod. I, uh, I, I appreciate you coming on. We've never met. You know, it's very rare on my podcast that I'm talking to somebody that I've never met. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. I mean, we have the mutual friend of Chloe and she's, uh, she was nice enough to think of me when she saw that you were looking for, for someone, uh, to talk about this subject. So thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah. So as I said, when we were chatting on the phone yesterday, you know, when I put this out to talk, I said I wanted to talk about, you know, the use of psychedelics uh, for a treatment of mental health issues um, because I had seen a, a news report about the, like, a, like, a, like a further approval of, of the use. So I put it out on my Instagram that I wanted to talk to somebody. And I had one of the biggest responses I've ever had for a call out. And uh, well, well, Chloe uh, connected me with you, which is fantastic because I'm really getting a, a double bubble bonus by having you on because you you didn't you haven't just uh, dabbled in this area, but you've dabbled into it in relation to uh, your own uh, problem with with alcohol, and you're actually part of one of the most important clinical trials. So I really landed on my feet with you. Well, hey, I landed on my feet. I mean, I got extremely lucky. Um, I was just in the right place at the right time. And I was lucky enough to get into this clinical trial. And, um, and it was the only thing that worked. I was shocked at how well, and not only how well, but how easy this was. I didn't, I could still work. Throughout and can we, can, yeah. so, so can we jump back just a touch because oh, sure, yeah. let's, you don't have to get into like a, like a drunk log, but just, I guess just briefly, can you just say, you know, uh, what you were suffering with, struggling with the things that you tried, like what, what led you to end up in this lucky position where you tried this and it worked? Oh, sure. Um, so, I mean, I had a problem. It was my first meeting. I was 16, my first AA meeting, Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah. Mine, I was 17. So we have that, we have that in common. We have that in common too. Right. Well, we're both New York guys. I think it's something growing up in the city. You just, there's something about it. You get access to, to everything at such a young age. It is terrifying. Well, the, the Irish, the Irish would say, cause you know, I lived in Ireland half my life. The Irish would say that because we grew up in New York, uh, people told us we had a problem, uh, pretty early. Whereas in Ireland, you would have just been a normal drinker. Yeah, right. You blend right in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so 16 you went to your first meeting. So that was like what what was it at 16? Was it too much drinking? Was it blacking out and getting in fights? What was the thing that had you thinking that? Yeah, it was I mean, I always drank more than than everyone. Um and I'm not a big guy. I'm 5'7, 165 pounds. So I'm not but I'm putting down, you know, I'm drinking 20, 30 drinks a night, no problem, not throwing up or anything, um, but blacking out, mm. uh, that, that's the issue. And I, I realized that wasn't normal at a young age. And I would just drink to get drunk. I never understood. And kind of, you know, frankly, I still don't really understand someone just drinking to, to enjoy a drink. I'm like, well, you know, I can't, 
I think that's how we're built too. We we don't do a lot of things in moderation, and I'm mm. still like that. So if it's work, I'm you know I'm doing it all or nothing. If it's drinking, I'm doing it all or nothing. There's no. Yeah. It's funny. It's, it's funny you should way. say that. It's funny you say that because I remember one time I was talking to, I think it was another sober guy, and uh, I said to him, I was like, I don't understand these people who like can just have one or two because and stop because I, I said like if I could just have one or two then I would just drink all the time <laughs> I, was, I, I can't even talk about it hypothetically without fucking it up <laughs> yeah right <laughs> no I'm the same way I, I never got it um and so that you know that's that's where it came to the point I was just drink and nothing I had a great childhood so nothing that I was I wasn't drinking to cover anything up or repress anything or deal with trauma. I just started drinking at a young age. Um it you know it's a progressive disease alcoholism. I, your tolerance builds up. So I got to the point where I was drinking a lot and I'm blacking out every time I'm drinking and I couldn't deal with, you know, I had the physical hangovers and the DTs, delirium tremens mm. when you're like shaking and that's not fun, the withdrawal. But I also had what I call the moral hangovers, which is like the anxiety and mm. trying to piece together what, you know, what happened the night before. Did I, you know, how do I have to go on the apology tour? How many bridges did I burn? You know, mm. um, and luckily that wasn't that wasn't too, too nothing permanent from any of that stuff. So I got off very lucky. No rock bottom, you know, I hear like a lot of arrests and stuff. And I was lucky enough. I it never got to that point where I, you know, hit, hit a bad rock bottom. Um, so my bottom was, you know, not really that bad at all. Thank mm. God. And I was also young enough. I was 25 when I entered the clinical trial. So I was young enough to, to not have made as many mistakes or, or you know, cause that much damage. So you, you you tried AA, you tried various things, you tried the willpower, and in the end, you kept going back drinking, and you kept getting negative results, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So how did you come upon this clinical trial? Um, it was total luck. So I was never, I was always afraid of psychedelics, too. Um, so I never touched them. Um, I mean, I did other drugs, which are probably more harmful than psychedelics. But I never, I always got so scared of just the, the possibility of having a bad trip. Um, and so, you know, randomly, my mom had switched doctors. She told her doctor, her new doctor, that I was trying to, you know, get sober and they're having some problems, you know, that I'm having issues. I can't, you know, I want to stop. I can't stop. Um, and you know, a week later, that same doctor and God love her, Lisa Durso from NYU. She, I guess she read in a medical journal that the doctors at NYU Langone are getting ready to launch a clinical trial with psilocybin, so which is the active compound in psychedelic mushrooms treating alcohol use disorder or alcoholism. Yeah. So but I, alcohol use disorder is kind of the more uh, sort the of medically acceptable term these days, right? They, they like, referring i mean i'm you know i was a raging alcoholic i still and that's the thing right so you know aa a lot of guys i know who 
they haven't touched a drop in like 30 years. And they're like, I'm still an alcoholic. I still consider myself an alcoholic. But with me, you know, it's not, I don't really identify with it as much as I used to because I'm not thinking about it. It's that, that whole urge and that problem um, just van- it virtually disappeared, which is crazy to think. So what happens when, so, so your, your mom's doctor looks into it yeah. and is it just that random that you just sign up and, and hope that they pick you? Yeah, I was, I mean, and also I was just so desperate at that point too. So even though I was still a little skeptical, well, pretty skeptical, but also I was like, Hey, if I, if I get to do a a schedule one drug under the supervision of doctors and I'm the first one to do this, you know, study, uh, clinical trial, I mean, that's pretty cool to me. I'm like, I'll, I'll give it a go, but I was just so desperate that I didn't really care. I knew that I already tried rehab. I tried um, AA multiple times for Mm. years. I tried therapy, uh, pharmaceutical drugs. So drugs that would, I mean, prescriptions that would curb my drinking. So, you know, that didn't really work for me or another pharmaceutical prescription that would get me sick if I ingested any alcohol. But that, that, that was the ant abuse? Ant abuse. So mm. that but that never did anything to my cravings. It was just like putting your hand on a hot stove and but but the craving is still there. Um so and, and you also you also took some like mental health drugs too? Like did they they treat you for any mental health issues in that time when you were struggling? I don't think so. I think right. it was just, I mean, the depression came, I obviously was depressed, right? Mm. Alcohol is a depressant. Mm. And, you know, I, I had really down days from my drinking and the withdrawals and, you know, so, I mean, I, I was suffering from depression due to the drinking for sure. Yeah. But yeah, but you never, so like what I, what I mean is like, they never said, oh, why don't you try these antidepressants for a while and see if that helps? You, you never tried that? Oh, no, they, they did that too, but that didn't, I just felt weird. I remember, and I've heard this, you know, with a lot of people I work with that are trying to get into these clinical trials so many times. It is crazy how common this is. They say I was just very depressed. Nothing crazy though. I was depressed. But then I took uh, antidepressants or SSRIs and I turned suicidal for the first time. So some of these antidepressants actually make, make your depression worse and, and it's a liability. It's dangerous. Um, so I just, I never got to the suicidal point, but I was, I took antidepressants. They said, maybe you won't have to drink if you, you do these antidepressants. And I tried them and I, I was like, I just felt very weird. Um, and I didn't want anything to do with them. Yeah. Not, yeah. Nothing more. I tried, I tried every, I even went to an acupuncturist that didn't work. Um, I mean, I was, I tried everything. Yeah. You, the acupuncture, like, yeah, it's, 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 it's kind of a, what did the acupuncturist say they could do? Just, just re realign your meridians. They got, well, the guy left the needle in my leg. So, you know, and he said, Oh, whoops, I forgot about that. I'm like, wait, like what other stuff did you forget about? I'm, you know, I can't even put my jacket on. And, and then he gave me some pear juice and some herb. 
And he said, don't drink. But if you decide to drink, take this before. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm going drinking tonight. And I took that stuff. And I just, all it did was it just gave, it made me really red in the face. And I've never gotten that before. So I, you know, who knows? <laughs> it was very strange. Yeah. I, but that's how desperate I am. You know, I'm trying everything. If you're going to put it out in front of me, I'm, I'm going to try it and see if it works. And yeah. nothing worked. So before you took the trial, like, had you, had you read about like experimentation in the 1960s? I even heard, I'm not a big Joe Rogan listener, but one episode that I listened to in entirety of Joe Rogan was a guy that writes about Charles Manson and the, 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 the fact that they were involved in some LSD trials and stuff. Did you, did you have any trepidation of like, you know, stuff from decades ago that seemed to be a bit, you know, uh, nefarious? Yeah. I mean, those were def- those were concerns of mine. Um, yeah. And they were real concerns. So once I saw it, it also helped that NYU Langone and the doctors I spoke with, they're reputable. It's a reputable institution and the doctors are, you know, real deal, top notch. So they weren't trying to sell me on anything. They weren't self promoters. They were just, you know, referring me to the data and the research. So my concerns were, I was going to go crazy. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a big myth. You don't, you're not going to go crazy if you do this safely, right? So they screen for schizophrenia. If, if someone with schizophrenia goes in there and they, you know, have a hallucination and take the psilocybin, that could activate psychosis and get, you know, it could, it, it could be a slippery slope. So they do such a good job screening patients first that they haven't had any negative results from patients, um, which is reassuring. And that's also, a big reason why the FDA recently granted that breakthrough therapy designation. Mm. So they see that they know that it's safe first and foremost, this is a safe treatment to do, but it's also effective and it's effective at rates that, that are eclipsing our standard treatments right now. So between 60 to 80% in these clinical trials, you know, those, those patients have a successful outcome and are no longer uh, diagnosed with, you know, the, the disorder that they went into the trial with. So when you go into the, like, so, I mean, when they decide to uh, talk to you about whether you're suitable or not, like, what are they, what are they sort of selling to you? What are they saying is the potential, uh, thing that's going to work? Uh, how are they selling it to you that they're expecting to see positive outcomes? Like what's the type, what type of stuff are they saying? Yeah. Um, great question. The, so they reverted back to the 1950s and 1960s research, which they mainly used the, the researchers used LSD to treat alcoholics with. And I think back then it wasn't too, you know, how it, how it sounded like they were just given a, an alcoholic LSD, handcuff them to like a hospital bed, leave, for the day and then come back the next day and see, you know, how they were. And they, you know, they'd be fine. And a lot of them ended up, you know, being fine and not, not, uh, being alcoholics anymore, not drinking anymore. Um, so then they did a New Mexico study, uh, a few years prior to my 2015 study. And I think they had 10 study participants and all of them got the psilocybin, and uh, 
they said the doc, one of the doctors, Michael Bogan, she was, he was conducting that trial in New Mexico. And he said some of the patients, the, the study participants just stopped drinking. You know, a lot of them reduced their drinking so they could have, you know, like a normal, they could drink normally now. So, and I talked to a clinical trial participant in my study uh, and they said, a few of them said that they just drink, you know, once or twice a year and they'll have maybe a, a beer or a glass of wine and they don't even finish it, which is crazy now that they're drinking, you know, like a normal person would or someone without an addiction. Um, so that's fascinating to me, but that's what they said. They gave me a range. They didn't say this isn't a, an end all be all cure and magic bullet. But for me, it was, I mean, and that's what, you know, for me, it was, for me, it took away my cravings where I haven't had a drink since the first psilocybin session. And I did three psilocybin sessions throughout the whole study. And I haven't had psilocybin since the last session and leaving the trial. So this worked almost like an antibiotic where, and they said I was the best case scenario of someone like me who who comes in as one of the worst case scenarios drinking. I was in the 95th or 97th percentile for alcohol consumption. Mm. Um, and I couldn't stop even though I wanted to, to leave the trial without even craving alcohol was unbelievable. Um, so I was, you know, I, I saw this as a cure for myself and they're cautious though. They're not self promoters. They're not snake oil guys they're cautious about saying stuff like that because they don't want to get people's hopes up. So take me through the process. So you, you've been accepted for the trial and you're going in for the, the first session. So, so, so tell me about what actually happens. Cause it's, it's, I think a lot of people will automatically start to think that it's like micro dosing or there's some sort of, you know, like a regular, uh, regular taking of something, but you, you, this is very much a, a specific kind of event that happens for you. Right. Yeah, exactly. So this is not microdosing at all. Um, this is what they call a heroic dose. So they want to give you a big enough dose to make you have an eventful experience and a memorable experience. So, so um, you know, like it feels like to me, actually, you know what, let me tell me about it first and then I want to tell you what I think. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. So it, you know, you go in and, and it's called psilocybin assisted therapy. So, you know, what that means is, is this is psychotherapy. So it's not anything different than, you know, going in to see a psychiatrist. The only different part is one of the sessions is not psychotherapy and they give you a pill of psilocybin and you take that and uh, they give you uh, an eye mask, something you get on an overnight flight and headphones playing like classical music and some tribal stuff too, with like windpipes. Um, Did they ever tell you if that stuff is, is, is it specifically chosen? Is there, is there a reason for that music or is it just any relaxing music at all? Yeah, they, they felt like that was the best music to kind of, you know, help you along the, the journey, if you will. Um, because it, you know, during, while I'm hallucinating under, you know, I, I'm under the influence of psilocybin and I'm hearing one song and then it goes to another song. 
you know, that could totally change the direction of my, my experience, which is crazy. So they tended to not have any music with words in it to directly influence your, your session, but they wanted to help, you know, move it along and guide it. And, and you're in a room on your own? Yeah. So you have two doctors with you. And that was the only way I would do it because I'm, you know, I'm a hypochondriac. I did not want, I'm like, so what happens with the worst case scenario? I'm freaking out. And they're like, we have something for you that's going to let, you know, I'm like, okay, fine. And then um, I'm like the addict in me. I'm like, well, that's that. Maybe I'll pretend to freak out. And so they could stick me with that stuff too. But, you know, that sounds fun. <laughs> but, all, you know? but, but did you have any kind of like almost like giddy anticipation that this might be like a nice feeling of getting out of your head? Or was it more just nervousness of what the hell am I getting into? Oh, the first. So the first time, because I had never done this even, like, even recreationally. Mm. Um, so I didn't know what to expect. And so I was nervous for sure, but I also had excitement and some hope because I was like, this is my last chance. And, and a part of me felt like this, this could work after like all the reading I did. And after, you know, all these talks with the doctors and other, you know, listening to about other study participants. Um, But there weren't too many study participants doing this for alcohol use disorder, alcoholism in the recent years. So I didn't have anything to really refer to and revert back to as Mm. a reference point. So that, you know, it was, you know, I was just out of options. So I was excited and nervous at the same time. So you're lying on a couch or a bed or whatever with the, with the, the things on what, what is the, first of all, how did you start to feel? And then what was the experience that you had? So about, you know, 30, 40 minutes into it, I'm lying down by this time, right? So first of all, they, they have the pill and you're, what you're supposed to do is you take the pill, but you state an intention, what you want to get out of it. So, so for me, even though I was there for my drinking, I didn't say I want to stop drinking. I said, I, want, I just want to find an inner peace. Right. That's all it was. was, And it was that vague, but it worked for me because I felt if I have an inner peace, I'm not going to, there's something that the the drinking is stemming from. That's it's a byproduct of something deeper. And I felt once, you know, I was just calm and I'm not a Zen guy. Um, Like my girlfriend, when I tell people, yeah, I was, I'm a lot calmer now. My girlfriend's like, wait, what? You know, she, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because she met me after all of this and she was like wait you're calmer now so, I guess, you know, so she's like but it you know i just i went in there i said i just want an inner peace and you're lying down you, so you take the pill you're lying down about like 30 40 minutes in i started seeing kaleidoscopic you know shapes and images and they were if you remember i think it was on mac when you would play a song on on your computer they would have like a presentation almost yeah yeah like yeah 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 that would it was kind of like that that was moving the shapes that i was seeing was moving with the music which was very weird and it was kind of cool 
Um, but then it got, obviously it gets stronger and stronger. And the first session, because it's a double blind, half the study participants get the placebo, the other half get the psilocybin. So I was dead set on getting the psilocybin. I was hoping and praying that I got it. Um, and I ended up getting it, but it wasn't as obvious as you'd think, at least for me. Um, because I was fairly certain I had got it after my session was over. I'm like, okay, this is very wacky. I never experienced anything like it. But the doctors said there have been patients that have interacted. They've gotten high amounts of Benadryl, what they've been using as the placebo. And they felt kind of weird and thought that they might've gotten the psilocybin. And there have been other study participants that got a low enough you know, amount of psilocybin that it didn't really move the needle for them. Right. So then the next session, they upped my milligrams to 25 milligrams, which they said equates to about six or seven grams of mushroom, like magic mushrooms. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess that's a pretty high amount. Um, and, and that, you know, that session was a lot more intense and, you know, the, the highs were high and the lows were low and, um, everything was really magnified, the, the emotions and the, the feelings there. And this sounds so wacky. Um, but, but it's, you know, it's just crazy how it's just, you, you ever hear like the term, it's so crazy. It might work. Yep. That's exactly what, what this was. It was just so out there and crazy that, that it did end up working. But you had a visualization though, right? I had a visualization for the first one I saw uh, and like the music's playing in the background, but I visualized uh, a bottle, a liquor bottle in the desert. And all of a sudden the glass disintegrated into the sand. And I thought that was pretty profound symbolism for my addiction leaving me. Mm -hmm. um, uh, there was another instance where I had a death experience where, you know, I was just, I saw myself lying on the couch at Bellevue hospital in real time, but I saw myself, it was like an out-of-body experience, mm -hmm. seeing myself from a bird's eye view. And then I just all of a sudden died, but that was ironically the most peaceful part of the, you know, situation there. Um, and experience. So it was just, it was really weird. I mean, it was kind of, you know, in your face symbolism and cliche stuff with the bottle disintegrating into the sand. And it was obvious stuff, but I was like, this is so profound that it, you know, it changed my life. And when they, you have to fill out questionnaires because this is all research. The doctors don't know how this really works and how, you know, they know it yeah. works, but they're trying to figure out why this is working. And so um, they, one of the questions is how important was this in your, you know, how important was this experience in your life? And people rate it, you know, up there. I think it was like probably the most important in my life. It, it, this saved my life, no doubt. But people rate it up there with, you know, a, a birth of their child and a death of their parent. But this is not in hindsight, right? This is this is immediately afterwards. This is not five years later. Like you've had a very positive experience. You're not rating it after you know it's successful. You're rating it based on the experience that you've just had, right? 
Yeah. So you, I think, so we had to fill something out right after, right when the drugs wore off. And then we went in the next day for a, an integration session. And that's basically, you know, another psychotherapy session where the doctors are talking to you and like, okay, what did you see? How do you, how do you think it was? What, what do you think this means going forward? How are you going to integrate this into your life now? Um, and that's really important. It's not, that's, that's the difference between this treatment as a medical and a therapeutic treatment and versus, you know, buddies of mine taking a bunch of mushrooms and going to the fish mm. concert at the garden. Um, it's the psychotherapy with, with the doctors and the therapist. So how much, so you, you said you had three journeys, right? Yeah. And then how much, how much follow on is there in terms of therapy, talk therapy and any other support? Um, so they do, they do preparation. That's a, it's all talk therapy, all these sessions before and after the psilocybin, no talk therapy during the set while you're Mm. hallucinating. Um, they do do that for MDMA, which is ecstasy, right? Yeah. And that's an, that's another, uh, drug that they're, uh, doing trials with, right? Exactly. So for that, they, they do a talk therapy session while the patient is, is under the influence of the MDMA, but for psilocybin, it's before and after. So I probably had four or five sessions prior to taking the, the psilocybin. And then you have a few more sessions and these are like once a week. So it's, it's, if you've done psychotherapy with a psychiatrist, it's basically that the only difference is in between some of these sessions, you know, you take psilocybin. Um, but so it's not, it wasn't anything that new. And then after, you know, I had another four or five sessions. Um, but I had stopped drinking after the very first session and, um, and then the second session and the third sessions really helped a lot too, kind of reinforce you know, and, and my cravings went away to, to nothing after that, after the second one, really, which was crazy. And you've, you've never drank again, right? No, I haven't drank, but I haven't even craved a drink. So it's not like the urge is still there. And I'm like, I'm just fighting it. It's non-existent, which is, I mean, my girlfriend went to California for a week or two and halfway in, I realized that she left a bottle of wine in my fridge and I mean, before I would have, I would have known about that as soon as it went in and I would have went right to that as soon as she got into a cab to go to the airport. Um, and I would have drank that before she even got to the airport and then bought a lot more liquor after that. Um, and I just realized I'm like, this is great. That's just how well this treatment worked where I could drink right now and no one would know. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. But you don't. Well, you just don't. You don't have a desire. No, no desire at all. It's crazy. So here's, so here's what's so crazy to me, right? Yeah. I know that you've been to AA. I, I've been to AA. And th- this, this is not about AA other than... Bill W., which I know that we'll we'll talk about in, again in a sec because he was actually very pro all this stuff. But the basics of that outside of the 12 steps and all that is the only thing that will cure this insane disease is a spiritual awakening, a spiritual experience. Uh, and in a way, even though we're not compar- we're not saying that AA does anything right or wrong, but he was definitely right about that in that you have had a, a drug-assisted spiritual experience that has completely wiped away your craving for alcohol, which is, is miraculous. And I know that you're not saying that it's a guaranteed success for everybody, but yeah. it, 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 it is amazing. But it's also fascinating that it's not the first time that people realize this. They just didn't know how to achieve it. Exactly. And there are a lot of similarities between this treatment, the psilocybin assisted therapy that I did and AA, such as the spiritual awakening. And, you know, they tell you to believe in a higher power. And there have been study participants, atheists that go into this and they say, I saw God. They tell the doctors, they're like, I'm still an atheist, but I saw God. And so you know, it's stuff like that and the group and the connectedness, right? Because there's a big community in AA. It's a great support system. You rely on each other. And, you know, that's that's a, a common theme with study participants. They have this feeling that everything's connected and there's, right? There's, right? So there are a lot of similarities um, between, and I don't think that's a I don't think that's a coincidence. I think, you know, as you know, Bill W. did this. Um, he did LSD. Yeah, he experimented with LSD. He was very open to scientific advancements in, you know, figuring this out. Exactly. So I think he he took some of that with him into the the program, AA. Mm. Yeah. And, and it's also interesting because this has been such a profound experience for you that you haven't just said you haven't just lost your craving for alcohol, but you've also decided that you want to dedicate a, a, a good portion of your life to spreading the news and helping other people, and just just making sure that uh, other people can uh, have have the chance to have this experience. Yeah, no, that's how, and and I'm not the only one. Another, you know, the co-founder of uh, Apollo Pact or nonprofit. Um, he was a Johns Hopkins study participant and he, uh, he saw the potential in this and he's dedicating his life to this too. I mean, I, so you're involved with that now, right? I only know that because that's your email. Is, is that, so are you involved with that organization now? 
Yeah, so I founded that with uh, Ali, who's who's the co-founder, and our goal here is to to advance this research. So all the funding that's been in this research, it's a Schedule One drug, so no government funds are really going to this. So it's been private donations from individuals, high net worth individuals mainly, and um, foundations that are you know funding this research and. For me, I had tried everything and I also, I was so desperate and I'm not religious, but it's that quote that you hear sometimes it's, um, there are no atheists in a foxhole. Mm. And I was so desperate. I made a deal with God. I was like, if this ha- if this works for me, I'm going to do everything I can to make this available for other people. Cause I knew about the political baggage and the stigma and the the regular you know the regulations and the obstacles with the FDA the DEA you know a lot of hurdles these doctors have to overcome to to make this accessible to other people um, but the more I looked into it the more I saw that this is saving a lot of veterans with PTSD and depression um, a lot of these guys have tracked me down after I you know did some media um, and they said I went you know, a lot of, you know, myself and a lot of my colleagues just skipped past the VA and went straight to doing this underground, or I had to go to Mexico or South America. I had to leave the country to get healthcare. So imagine going to Mexico, you're doing like a reverse commute, right? All these people are crossing the border from Mexico to come here for a better life. And we have Americans and American vets leaving our country to get healthcare south of the border, which is crazy. Um, It's nuts. So, uh, but, but the, the good news is that the, the science has has been so positive and safe that it looks like the hurdles are being crossed. Right. I mean, it it looks like that, the, you know, there's, this is going to become more readily available and definitely more an, an accepted form of treatment. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And that's, you know, that's what we're relying on now. So that's why we're partnering with a lot of researchers and scientists, because that's how you're going to get a lot of the attention of the folks who are on the fence about this, like I was. But the more I looked into it, the more I saw that this is a legitimate medical treatment that would yield better results than anything that we've seen right now. So, you know, with that, the biggest risk right now is if this research becomes politicized and that, you know, that's basically what happened in the 1970s, because in the 1950s and 60s, this research was great. It was saving lives. Doctors, you know, people saw that this was working and then the war on drugs happened and the counter and and the counterculture. Right. So so LSD psychedelics got associated with counterculture. And then uh, there was a kind of move against that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And that's, you know. That's that's a real reality here, too, that this may, you know, you get some one of my friends who works in D.C., he said there's no you know, there isn't a more dangerous place between a politician and a camera. So. If a politician is going to say, you know, see, see, this is an opportunity to get headlines and grab headlines and say, psychedelics kill, these wackos are jumping off roofs and, you know, 
that they're going to do that. And the thing with doing this, a big risk is if a kid reads an article or something or watches this interview and then wants to do this for, for their depression um, or their alcoholism or addiction, but they have to do it underground. What if they got mushrooms and then got into a bad accident? What if they, what if the mushrooms weren't really mushrooms and they were laced mm. with something else? Right. So that's going to be a headline. And that's the biggest risk because the stigma is so real um, and and there's a lot of political baggage. But then on the flip side, don't you feel that the excitement that some people get, or certainly just in terms of the response that I got on Instagram, but even just articles that I've read over the last couple of years, it's almost like everybody gets more excited about this because it's a psychedelic because they're talking about MDMA, which is an active ingredient in ecstasy. Then everybody kind of like they desperately want it to work because then it's like, Oh, that's our team. You know, that's kind of comes from like our recreational stuff. Don't you feel that there's a, there's a almost an over enthusiasm sometimes with, with the doctors or no people's opinions. Oh, just people's opinions. Yeah. Um, What I mean is, I, I, I don't I don't see anyone as excited as I saw on my Instagram about anything else, but they get very excited about the use of psychedelics and MDMA in the treatment for mental health issues. Yeah, no, and I totally agree with that. But a lot of these folks sometimes because I've, you know, buried myself in this work and I'm doing it full time. My biggest, you know, weakness right now is I'm kind of in an echo chamber. So I think everyone knows about the latest research and everyone knows about this. But I saw a stat that was maybe from a year ago that only about 10% of medical professionals are even aware about this research, which is staggering. I mean, now you've got the Time, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, 60 Minutes, right? These, these are mainstream publications and they're doing stories on this, which, which certainly helps. Um, but Sometimes I fear that, you know, whether we're online or just the circles we're in, sometimes we're in an echo chamber and that doesn't reflect, you know, the, the opinion of the majority of people. Yeah. So that's kind of like the next front on your, your information battle, right? Is to Yeah, absolutely. Because just- this is almost kind of cultish. Like people are going not they're like, oh my God, you got everyone sending me like right the Joe Rogan stuff like you and everyone was hitting you up when you would ask yeah. that question, right? It's like it's crazy. Um, yeah, it's almost like I mean, this, I, I don't mean to bring up something as political as vaccines, but the people that believe in this stuff, man, they really believe it. <laughs> they, they 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 get into it big time. Oh yeah. No, 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 absolutely. You nailed that for sure. Totally okay, agree. so so just quickly while I sit, while I have you, what between the 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 I always why do I always forget the active ingredient of magic mushrooms? You've only said it about yeah. ten psilocybin, psilocybin, yeah. MDMA. Those are the two things I read about in this New York Times article. What uh, what conditions are being treated for this, and are they? I know that you said one is talk therapy during, but it is is it always like an experience or? Is there also a lot of research on microdosing and different things? So from what I'm aware, there isn't, I don't know if they've published any research on microdosing yet. There might be a few clinical trials underway. Um, But with MDMA, they're, they're mainly doing that with, for PTSD. So what MDMA does for the patient 
is it kind it, it makes them feel good in a way, right? And well, it definitely it, made it, me feel good uh, between yeah. 1994 and 1995. Right? No, it's, <laughs> it, it, you know. What did Rick James say? It's a hell of a drug. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's all about something else. But I, I think, you know, I'd agree with that too. So that's what, right? This drug makes you feel good. And the doctors use this by having these folks who've undergone tremendous trauma revisit that trauma, but in a way that doesn't hurt them anymore emotionally. And right. So, so they get to talk out these traumatic events, but while they're feeling good. Wow. And so, so that's, that's why they're feeling that this has a good result. Yeah. Um, and that does tremendous. And, and I've heard this with MDMA and I've heard it with psilocybin and I'd agree. I haven't done the MDMA in a clinical setting. Um, but you know, I've done the psilocybin in a clinical setting and I totally agree with what, you know, a lot of folks are saying is that, uh, this, you know, this is about decades of psychotherapy or just regular therapy condensed in one afternoon. And I totally agree with that. Um, and, 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 uh, the, the clinical trials with, with MDMA for PTSD has also had positive results similar to the alcohol research. Yeah. So, so the MDMA is actually, on phase three, I believe. Um, so that's a little farther ahead. The psilocybin is approaching phase three of the clinical, of the FDA, you know, clinical route. Um, the, the MDMA is getting results that we've never seen. I mean, the, their doctors are calling that MDMA along with psilocybin. These are both separate clinical trials. They're both, um, scientific and medical breakthroughs. So the the results from the MDMA are anywhere from two thirds, I think 67% to 80, if not almost 90% success rate. And those are similar to psilocybin. Um, with the psilocybin, I mean, not too many studies have been published. One of the studies Johns Hopkins did with cigarette smokers and Quitting cigarettes is is very difficult to do. And a lot of these folks are treatment, like myself, we're treatment-resistant patients, meaning we've tried everything, all, all your standard treatment, nothing worked for us. So we're the worst of the worst. And they're getting these results from the, you know, from the worst of the worst patients that nothing else works on. I mean, that's pretty, um, I'm pretty optimistic about, about that research. Um, and that treatment and about, I think the number was at a six month follow-up, 80% of the smokers had quit smoking and the second best or, or the best known smoking cessation method has a 30 or 35% success rate at that same follow-up period. Wow. So this is more than double that, which is nuts. So Alcohol, smoking, PTSD, mm-hmm. uh, I'm assuming uh, depression, eating disorders. Is, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm making an assumption on eating disorders. Is that no, true? They're doing, they're doing a study at Johns Hopkins right now um, for anorexia. Uh, and uh, from what I hear, it, it looks promising. Nothing's been published 
there. These these clinical trials take years to do. Yes. Um, but that's looking good. They're doing OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, at uh, at Yale University. So a lot of and what's interesting is that with all of these mental and behavioral health disorders, you you can treat a lot of them, right? You, if you treat a heroin addict the same as you treat someone suffering from an eating disorder with the same method. I mean, that tells us a lot more about these mental and behavioral uh, diseases and disorders. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. It almost taps into that like Yoan Hari thing about the, well, you know, the, the, the fact that addicts, it's that it's more about belonging, right? It's more about feeling part of something than it is really about the, the drug itself. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. So, um, the last thing I'll say before I let you go, you are not recommending that everybody runs out and does an ayahuasca retreat, right? To to get rid of all their demons. <laughs> no, 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 please. <laughs> I mean, it's I've heard I've heard good stuff from you know because these are legal, right? You could go down there and do this legally, um, but it's certainly not for everyone. And and I would say do your research. Um, and and make sure that that you're in a safe place to do this if you tend to go out on your own to do this and and you leave the country to do it or the Netherlands. Um, I the best way to do this is like what I did with a clinical trial because you get two doctors usually focused on you, plus they pay you too, um, which is just absurd that you're getting paid <laughs> to do right. You're getting paid to do this treatment. Um, and take psychedelics legally, doing a Schedule One drug legally in the U.S. with you know the top doctors in the country. <laughs> um, was, oh, oh yeah, what about anxiety? Yeah, anxiety. So they did a study in maybe around 2014, and at NYU Langone, uh, same doctors as I had, and they did it for cancer patients with terminal illnesses. So after getting a diagnosis saying, you know, you got a year to live or whatever it is, you got stage three, stage four, um, you know, rightfully so a lot of these patients develop anxiety like I would. Um, and they, they did this treatment, the same exact treatment I did, right. You do the psychotherapy, you take the psilocybin and then you do a few more psychotherapy sessions and, one of the study participants said something which I thought was outstanding. Um, he said that, and he ended up dying, uh, but he said he wasn't afraid of death anymore because he realized that he already had hit the lottery by being born and being able to, to live a life. So he wasn't afraid of death anymore, but he was grateful for having lived and having experienced life and having that attitude, I think, I mean, will, will really get you, you know, uh, ahead and, and get you in a good place um, instead of just focusing on the negative. Right. God, the Dalai Lama had to meditate for all of his childhood to reach such realizations. Little did he know he could have just done a psilocybin set. That's a, that's a short, and they did. You know, there's the same uh, brain activity in folks who have been meditating for decades. It's similar, you know, brain activity, 
as in as in a brain under psychedelics, which is strange, isn't that? I mean, it really it, like when I got out of this treatment and the clinical trial, I felt like I took a shortcut, and I you know like I gamed the system. Um, but it is it really is a shortcut for a lot of these these instances. Yeah, no, that's great, and that's a great thought to to finish on. I mean, if it can if it can help you to accept death with gratitude, then uh, th- that's very positive. John, thank you so much, man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me, and um, yeah, talk soon. Yeah, we'll keep. I'll keep in touch. I'll stay on top of things, and uh, if I if I come across anybody interesting, I'll 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 connect you guys up in relation to your 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 journey moving forward. Awesome, thank you, and likewise, John. Thanks so much, man. Have a good one. Take care. Good seeing you. So, thanks, guys. I hope you really enjoyed the app. Thanks to John for uh, being so gracious with his time and thanks to chloe labranche for organizing him for me because you know i got so many suggestions but it's very hard to have a connect you know people are like naming these like harvard professors and people have no connection it's very hard to get them um and as you've heard me complain many times i'm just not a great guest booker anyway it's not my it's not my strong point so thanks to chloe for for the hookup and uh, God, what a fascinating world. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Please do send uh, DMs to me at Des Bishop uh, on Instagram. And, uh, you know, leave a review about this episode. Particularly, uh, I think it, it pays homage to our, uh, our broad eclectic range of topics that we deal with on this podcast. Uh, don't forget to leave uh, five stars if you listen on iTunes. Take a screenshot. If you listen on Spotify, spread the word. Patreon.com forward slash Des Bishop if you want to subscribe to our tri-weekly YouTube lives as I try to concentrate as Hannah puts deodorant on. She's actually walking around naked in the hotel room. Beautiful, uh, beautiful city, San Juan. We've been having a great time, but I'm, I'm not going to rub it in because I know a lot of Irish people can't travel yet. Um, so we'll be back next week not sure what we're going to talk about yet but we will be back next week and uh, I look forward to that time guys thank you so much even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.